step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change, and certain restrictions may apply. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. My name is Pedro Flores. I am giving this statement freely and voluntarily, pursuant to proper letters with the United States Attorney's Office for the Eastern District of Wisconsin and the Northern District of Illinois. Although no promises have been made to me regarding my cooperation or the sentence I will ultimately receive, I am cooperating with the government in the hope of receiving a reduced sentence in a federal case where I have been indicted on federal narcotics charges. Do you believe in the justice system after what it's put you through? Well, I remember the prosecutor once telling me when we argued certain things about our case and our charges, and he said to me, the law's not there to protect criminals, it's there to protect the innocent. So I'm gonna take that for the word because I'm, I was a criminal so the law wasn't there to benefit me it was there to go right. against me so I have to respect that you know if I was on the opposite side of the law you know if I was on the right side of the law maybe that law would protect me and I hope it does you know but do I agree with every part of it no but you see you people know? get 20 they kill 20 people and they just let them out because mm -hmm. they got who they want yeah who they wanted 
Well, people, I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of people are going to think that our sentence was unfair. And I hope that in us talking about this and they're going to get a big picture of see, let them decide what's what's fair or not. But I'll take responsibility. Was, do I believe in justice? Yes, because I'm the one that put myself in that situation. Mm-hmm. If I would never have done that, then I wouldn't have to deal with that. Yeah, right. Hey, it's 50 Cent. And I'm Charlie Webster. This is Surviving El Chapo, the twins who brought down a drug lord. Season two. You ever played that game telephone? For five years, that's the only way Jay and Pete were able to communicate with each other by sending messages to their wives. So far, their time in prison had been about cooperation and they had no clue how much longer they'd be in for. The twin sentencing was originally put on hold until El Chapo was caught. Now that El Chapo had been arrested, the brothers could get back together. But it wouldn't last long. Pete and Jay would soon learn their fate, but first they had to get to the courthouse in Chicago. Sat in a hangar and shackled, Pete watched anxiously as a plane approached, a plane he hoped would have his brother on board. I can see the plane approaching the, the private plane, and uh, you know, it's, it's taking forever like to land, to spin around. But I remember like they pull up, and I'm sitting in the in the, in the truck still, and I see them, you know, pull the doors open. When they tell me, come on, I, I rush out. I remember I was just looking down, trying to peek over the corner. I just, and I just see his gray sweats and his shoes, you know? And I knew my brother was sitting there. What did that feel like? It was a beautiful feeling to, you know? Yeah, we, we got emotional right away. As soon as we seen each other, we started crying. And what did you do when you saw each other? Well, we couldn't, you know, I was, I was sitting down with a shackled, so we couldn't do much, so we just rubbed our head together. Yeah, with our big head together. <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, bro, like, after I was, like, finding the tear, I'm like, bro, why do you look like that? Right away, I went to, like, I've been in this shoe. Yeah, I, you know, I'm thinking I'm going to go get a haircut, like, whatever. And it didn't work out that way. And you know what, just so you know, like, even the marshals that would travel with us, they're just, they'll stay quiet for that second, just stare at us, like, what was our reaction going to, you know, be like? And he sat in front of me. And we just tried to just, and uh, we forgot about everyone else. And that little three, four hour flight felt like, yeah, ten minutes catching up on different things, and he's sitting in front of me, and and then you know I'm all nervous, wreck a little bit. I'm like, going to get sentenced, and I'm looking at my brother, and I'm kind of quiet. I'm staring at him because he has this different. He's laid back. He's sitting back, and he's like, "You hungry, bro? You know, give him something to eat." And he's like, <laughs> "Well, it's because I yeah, did. I was prepared. No, no, like, no. I, I did. Did you feel different to each other because you'd not seen each other for that?" Long and also you'd been through so much in that period of time. I, I'm gonna say, I noticed like, to me he was too timid. He was too like, 
I feel like he was letting them take a part of him. And if it wasn't me that I was not gonna let that happen. So when I see my brother, he has this as I'm coming in, he's like, hey, get him something to eat, man. He's hungry. Get well, him, what do you want? I'm like, Jay, bro, this is not your jet. These are US Marshals. Like, they give two shits what you say. And I'm just like, no, no, they didn't. All right, I'll eat. And I remember landing and I got sick, remember? You, you got sick. You, you got sick when we were taking out. When, when you started feeling better, I thought he looked hungry. So the marshals are there. My brother looked like he needed food. So, uh, hey, excuse me. Uh, bring me that food. Like, you know, they have fruit trade. It's a private jet. He Same service. To the marshal, hey, bring him some food. And then, and, and what did they do? I don't know, but I'm looking. What do you want? Here, here's your stuff. I get him the fruit, get him the drink. You know, like, hey, do you want anything? Anything else, brother? Like, yeah. And I'm looking. And he's at like, Jay, this is not your jet. Yeah. I'm like, don't worry. You're good. I'm going to make sure so, you're good. It might seem uncommon for prisoners to be transported on private jets, complete with fresh fruit and drinks. Even we were surprised to find out that it's actually a thriving business. On average, there's over 600 flights a day shuttling prisoners around the US. That's nearly the same amount of flights that take off every day from Los Angeles International Airport. It's not quite as lux as you would think, though. The prisoners still have to be shackled on the plane. Jay was concerned about Pete. He looked like a shell of himself, timid, drastically underweight and broken. Eventually, after a nearly four-hour flight, the twins were taken to a safe house in Chicago, expecting to be sentenced the next day. Instead, they ended up living at the safe house for months continuing to cooperate on the El Chapo case, going over the same things with the government again and again and again. And we're like, well, at least we're going to be somewhere a little more comfortable for tonight, tomorrow, whenever, right? And we get to the safe house in Chicago. It's a secret location. It's amazing where it's at. You'd be surprised that they put it somewhere like that and it's plain sight kind of plain sight but not in plain sight yeah we can't really discuss I wouldn't want it's not discussable it's like a bunker so they take us back we were there for months there's no windows there's nothing but it's a big old metal heavy door and, and it's a room that looks somewhat like a cheap it looks hotel. exactly like a Holiday Inn back in the day Exactly what everything in Holiday Inn would have. Except same lamp, same. Except no bathroom door, no, no bathroom closet door. doors. And a bunch of cameras inside. Same televisions too, old big old televisions. Same everything. We're not thinking that we're gonna, you know, they're gonna let us be together. Like, we're on the jet together and everything. When we get there, they separate us. And I remember at, you know, asking the, the Martian charge, like, can we be together? No, we can't be together. I'm like, I just got off the plane with him. We just drove over here together. You're like, what's the big deal? No. What did that feel like? I felt, again, yeah. that helplessness. I was like thinking like, he's my twin brother. We're on the same case. We're going to be charged. To, we got charged together. We're pleading guilty. All the benefits that we had early on. The simple things that we took for granted. We took for granted. They took it from us. So I remember just my brother and I, we right away, we didn't even care to eat we just sat we yelled at each other like we're in the hole 
from you know from the crack of the door like we sat on the floor and he's someone you know he's next door to me so we just yell at each other despite being brought together to be sentenced the brothers were still forced apart at every moment separated into their own rooms the only way they could talk to each other was to lie on the floor and shout through the crack at the bottom of the heavy metal doors And the, the marshals come check on you every what, 20 minutes? 8 to 15 minutes or so. They come in, even though they had cameras, they come in and be like, you guys good? Okay. So and we're you should hear the keys, that's coming. You hear keys, you know they're coming. So you just yell to each other. Yeah. And yeah. we, we, we had regular conversations. We were laughing, just different conversations about we hear, being nervous. And, and then they come get us. Come on, you guys have a visit. And we walk into like a little meeting room like that. Same thing like like the rooms that they make a suite is like two rooms where you just take the bed out of one and it's like a... They got sofas. Sofas. And, and we come in and there's, just, there's the government, the agents, the prosecutors, and we're like, what's going on? Like, oh, we're going to go over some stuff. I mean, this co- cooperation stuff was heavy. It was work. If I got paid by the hour, I had to get some pretty good checks. And I felt like I was upset, to be honest. I was like, I'm done. I'm done with this help me shit. I just want to get sentenced. I'm over it. Do what you got to do. I gave you, I've given you my soul, practically. I, to me, I felt like I was looking at someone who was defeated, who was giving up. That's what I looked at him. So I'm like, come on, like, come on, be like, be strong. I saw you being nervous. And I saw you being that way because you were, I didn't think you were confident enough. And I addressed that a couple of times too. I'm looking at I'm not confident. To me, it's a test. We're about to get sentenced and they want help. Tomorrow, they decide my future. What do you need? I have a family at home. I signed up for this. That's you don't have exactly that choice. What I'm saying. That was so, past so I was, you know, to me, I'm still fighting to get home. I never stop fighting. You know, if I were here to the last day, I fought every day. Use the training, all that. My brother would call it tantrums. I call it fighting. I think for me to see us be alike so much, even when it came to personality, a little bit at times, like energy. Or like whatever we give out, and for him, I felt like I was going one way, he was going the other. It was, I think, troublesome for me. And then, if you could kind of tell, like it was troublesome for him to see me the opposite way. I felt like more meekness set into me, a little more humble, a little more like patient, a little more like you know, maybe just I embraced that part that I was like, you know, I'm just I'm human. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com iHeart and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com iHeart. Identity theft protection starts here. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now. On January the 27th, 2015, after months of cooperating, Sentencing Day finally arrived. I remember that morning I'm in the safe house and I turn on the news. Like, I just turn on the local news in Chicago. And it's like, that's the story. El Chapo's biggest distributors, Pedro and Margarito Flores, use stash houses in the suburbs of Chicago. The Flores twins could be Chicago's biggest cocaine and heroin traffickers ever. Chicago's infamous drug trafficking twins, Pedro Flores and his brother Margarito. They became the Sinaloa cartel's largest U.S. distributors. The two hid the drugs in some of New York's best neighborhoods. The 
twins, Pedro and Margarita Flores, have spent six years cooperating with the feds. At first, I didn't get it. Like, what was the big deal about me getting sentenced? I also came to, like, like realize that it wasn't going to be a... Like, easy. It wasn't, you know, the sentencing was going to, you know... I'm looking at what the media was saying, like... It changed from us supposedly thinking we're doing something like good to change that we were still going to be the villain no matter what. And I understood that. I was like, okay. I just hope that the judge understands this and, and sees my cooperation and understands the risk we took and why we did this. I remember we are in this hallway and it's like 12 marshals. Me and my brother, side to side, handcuffed. And he's behind me, and the marshals are there. And Peter told me, like, yo, I'm nervous. Like, I'm like, Peter, don't be nervous. Like, look, this is what you're going to say. And I'm like, just trying to be the strong one, right? Like, I'm nervous too, but I'm not going to show them. And the marshal's like, man, you guys got you to just stop already. You're making a big deal about it. I said... I, I'm not like this, but that day, because I was worried about my brother, I was like, mind your fucking business. What is it to you? You're here to transport me. This is none of your fucking business. I said, you take this job, you do this every day, it might not be a big deal to you, but this is going to change. This, this is, is our life. life. Yeah, that's And, that's I said, and you're taking this for like, granted. This and I went on this rant, and I'm, and they're like, yo, just come on, come on. And, and the marshal thing, he's like, you're right. I apologize. You're right. I say for me, the heaviness of everything we come to, feeling the weight of it again, like, you know, you, your your fate lies in the hands of someone else. Like a psychological torture almost. Prior going into that courtroom and thinking I was going to see a bunch of people that are going to be staring at me, I'm going to have to admit, you know, be sentenced for all my wrongdoing was kind of heavy, you know? On top of everything, like, those thoughts were going through my mind, my family. I couldn't stop thinking of they were the kids, everyone, like everything we've been through. You know, the unknown of the future, what's around the corner, you know? What did it feel like on that day? Like being kidnapped again, being like, you know, your life up in the air, like anything could happen. The judge could have decided whatever he wanted. Those feelings of being like, fearing for my life again were real. And anyone who has, you know, come face to face with a judge in a federal courtroom could understand what I'm saying to, you know, come up to that, to the bench of the judge where he's sitting up, like feels like he's 10 feet, you know, high. And the courtroom makes you feel so small. That real thought that where it says the United States versus you. What chances does anyone have to fight the United States government, you know? And you feel small, you feel like vulnerable and weak. I feel like you're being brought out to the world to see you. And that was a little like, that was nerve wracking. Like, cause my life had changed so much 
I'm going in front of people that actually, again, right, that are going to decide your life. When a prisoner is sentenced, there is a guideline for how long they will spend in prison. The guideline is based on something called an offence level, which is determined by how serious the offence is. The maximum level is 43, which would mean a life sentence. When the twins went into their sentencing, they had an offence level of 59. That's 16 levels above the supposed maximum. Their cooperation meant levels could be taken off. It was described by government prosecutors as the most significant in a drug trafficking and money laundering context in the history of the district. In the end, the government recommended a sentence of a minimum 10 years, maximum 16. U.S. District Chief Judge Ruben Castillo sentenced each of the brothers to 14 years in prison, plus five years supervised release. The judge said that were it not for their cooperation, he would have sentenced them to life, but noted that they were already living with their own life sentence. There is never a day in their lives where they won't have to look over their shoulder. The judge said in court this morning, there's never a time that they'll turn the ignition switch on a car and not wonder to themselves, is it going to start or is it going to blow up? That's its own form of life sentence, and that's a part of the extraordinary nature of this case. Judge Castillo said the twins' operation devastated the walls of Chicago and created a highway of drugs into the city. Jay and Pete's cooperation led to criminal charges against the three bosses of the Sinaloa cartel. El Chapo, El Mayo, and Arturo Beltran Leyva. In addition, there were 51 other people charged as part of their cooperation, including their friends. People like Musico, who you might remember from the strip club night in season one. He was the person on the other end of the phone organizing for the cartel to save the Flores family's lives when they were caught by the Mexican federales. Even Tommy was charged, Jay's best friend. He was the person who helped Jay get Pete back when Pete was kidnapped by El Chapo and sat with Jay that fateful night watching the John Gotti documentary that first gave Jay the idea to cooperate. A total of 54 people had charges brought against them because of the Flores twins. Judge Castillo said, it's never too late to cooperate. I wanted to have like the best news and feel like, okay, I'm gonna be home in a year and a half or it didn't happen, you know? I was just halfway. The twins had spent nearly seven years in prison before being sentenced, and they now had another seven years to serve. They were only halfway through. I was disappointed. I mean, I was disappointed. You know, relieved in some ways because I felt like I was expecting like a lifetime supervision or something. That would have been a hard, you know, something hard to live with. I was given five years supervision, but again, it wasn't for myself. It was just for my family, my wife, my kids. You know, we were just like halfway through at that point. After six years, you know, of not just your six years, it was six years of craziness to be like, okay, we're halfway. 
felt hard, you know? Felt like starting all over. After the judge spoke to you and gave you your sentencing, and he he said words to the effect of, you know, you're always going to have to look over your shoulder. What did that feel like? What was it like for you? You know, it's something I already knew, right? But when he said it, I think it was more powerful, right? Of course, it just feels bad because I know my situation. And I'm going to hear those words that he's stated over and over again. And I'm probably going to continue to hear them. And like I understood like early on in the situation I put myself in. Part of me felt like I'm always going to be in prison by the fact of everything I did. And and that's for in prison for the fact that I cooperated, right? For me, regardless if I was getting benefits or not, it was for the good I thought I was doing. You know, so it's two different imprisonments, right? Or two different life sentences in different ways. If it was with them, it would have been death. And here it was like prison and a life sentence of worries and, you know, worrying about threats and your safety and your family's safety. Even after all those years of growing and thinking about my case and thinking about everything we did, I just never can say what would mean that I put my family in danger. And sometimes I would think, like, the fact that my wife and the rest of my family would be, like, it's worth it. Like, it kind of showed to me, like, how much they loved me and mm-hmm. how much they wanted more that they were, like, you know, I didn't understand that sometimes we were making decisions for our kids that they didn't get a chance to make. Kind of like what my dad did to me, right? And... You know, I, I thought when I got sentenced, I was going to come off feeling good. Is that understandable, right? Besides me getting rewarded with, no matter what the sentence was, that I was going to come out like. Like, feeling good. And I remember that press conference where, like, you know, they wanted to set as, us as an example. I didn't feel like that it was going to be an example for other people to cooperate. I t- totally didn't feel like that. I felt like... It was just a reminder, I guess, a little more of an extra torture for me and my family of what was lying ahead of me. I think that I was broken back inside. You know, grateful that it wasn't, like, longer, but I was broken. You know, I felt like I was, like, so overwhelmed with thoughts of Viviana and everything she had been through already and the kids and how hopeful they were and I remember I was sick again I was throwing up like all the way back you know I was sick that I was gonna have to say bye to my brother like and thinking that the next time I'll see him again was it's gonna be who knows did you get to say anything to each other once you were sentenced before you parted yeah I thought they were gonna like Take us straight back to our prisons, but they didn't that night. We we stood back in the safe house again, and 
we talked and it was hard. I did feel like I see my brothers like saying like, oh, well, what did we expect? Like a little more hard about it or stronger about it. And I felt broken. It was hard thinking like I wasn't going to be with him again. When the judge sentenced us, sentenced uh, me and my brother to 14 years, you know, I, I was hurt for my family because I did think about Sammy the Bull. I guess I was wrong. I guess Chapel wasn't as important, you know, as John Gotti. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now. Prudential knows that no community is a monolith, and we all have unique financial needs. With black community partners across the nation, Prudential has a remarkable history of supporting communities and institutions that have been overlooked for far too long and are making a tangible impact. This includes their home city of Newark, where they're actively engaged in building stronger financial foundations. They are dedicated to offering equitable financial services that cater to diverse individual requirements while recognizing our shared goal of wealth building. For instance, they've pledged a staggering $1 billion to programs, partners, and initiatives focused on historically excluded communities. It's not just about dreaming anymore. It's about turning those dreams into reality by creating blueprints for generational wealth. Power the dreams of our communities today and future generations tomorrow. Learn more and build your financial blueprint today at prudential.com slash blueprints. Hey guys, it's Steve Cavino from Cavino and Rich here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck. 
like a rugged half-ton tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. And with the new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. When you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold this value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer. Check out the amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. After they were sentenced, Jay and Pete were once again separated. They were sent to different prisons at opposite ends of the country to serve out the rest of their time. Did it change anything for you? when you did go back to the prison? Of course it did. I felt different. That first day, I'll never forget, like, arriving back at the prison. There's, like, three phone booths, like, you know? And they're, like, glass phone booths in that prison. I remember, like, sitting in the middle one, and I could see, like, the courtyard kind of, like, from the window. Like, everyone knew. Like when I got back like to court, but they know what's going on. Everyone just kind of like came in my space and I remember just breaking down with Viv on the phone. I'm feeling so like hurt for her, like, you know? Like, what do you say to your family? What do you say to your wife that's been waiting for you to come home and you can't come home? I can't explain to you in words what that feels like. Knowing that they need you, they're waiting for you, like literally like holding their breath for you to come home. I remember just thinking, like, telling her, babe, I tried my best. I did everything I could. Everything that I could possibly do, I did to make this easier. And this is as easy as it's going to get. There's nothing else in my mind I could have done at that time to help my situation. You know, and I felt like I had to live with that. It was a snowy, cold, snow day. So all the kids were were home. I remember I took them out in the morning and um, they wanted to go out and build snowmen. And there was a couple of kids in the black that would come in and play with them in the front. So it was like, it was not good that they were home that day. We. We came in and we had like a little a lunch and then we played games and a family member there was with me. Thank God for her. And, um, you know, I remember Valerie texting me and telling me what was going on. And my, um, my husband's attorney was very much keeping me updated and um, he didn't leave me in the dark at all, so, you know, I was grateful for that. When I heard that, you know, he got 14 years, it was, it was, it was, it was hard. It was like, it was like someone, like, took all the wind out of me. Yeah, I felt 
I felt defeated. You know, I felt, I felt, um, I felt very much defeated and I felt um, that I let down the kids too. And um, I felt let down. I felt angered and um, really regretful. couldn't wait to talk to him. After I had my moment of madness, you know, I kind of, and I'm always good at that, I'll, I'll be at my, I'll be super angered and then learn how to just calm myself and to soothe myself and to back into like reality. And um, I called, I wanted him to call so bad. When he got to the prison, he, he called me right away and there was complete silence like for five minutes. It was just complete silence and we were just crying and in complete silence. I think that we couldn't even, I think just the tears were just coming out. And you know, when you cry like that, I feel like that's just pain really just built up inside. So, you know, we did remind each other, you know, I reminded him that we're gonna get through it and we're gonna be there for each other and, you know, this is not gonna change anything for us. And, you know, I try to reassure him as much as I could while I'm reassuring myself, like letting myself know, like, yes, you're gonna get through it. You're gonna, you're gonna be okay. It's just, I was just sad in that I just looked at the kids and knew like they're gonna be they're gonna be teenagers by the time we came home. I know me and Viv are very shocked by the 14 years. And I feel like, you know, when they went to prison, they turned themselves in and they sacrificed themselves to do the right thing and to go to prison. I looked at them like they were so brave and like they were like so courageous to do that, to take a road that's never been walked before. And like, it's like a path to the unknown. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, they're there and they're in prison. And it's like, we're like, okay, well, I think in our mind, we're like, okay, well, they never killed anyone. They weren't violent. You know, they didn't do drugs. Like they didn't drink. Like we would, you know, they're, they're justified. We would justify like who they were as men. They weren't womanizers. You know, they were great fathers. They were great husbands. And I remember when Jay and Peter coming back from sentencing, you know, I was devastated with the 14 years. I'm like, wait, what? And, you know, because I'm looking at it like other people that are in the same prisons with them. You know, they have all these bodies lined up. And I'm like, how does that even, like, happen? Like, how are they getting out? And you got 14 years. And Jay was like, you know what, Val? We live in a bubble. We live in a fucking bubble. Like, this needs to stop. Like, no. When I was standing there in front of the judge, and he has his cloak on, and he's sitting up, and you see the American flag in the background, you see how powerful he is. He said, I felt fear. And I realized at that point, like, no, 
we were selling drugs, what we did was wrong. And I remember that everybody would always tell you these prison stories about what they say about prison. And they'll tell you that the old timers have been in there for 25 years and 30 years. You know, that they would always explain to the new inmates that, that there's two kind of inmates. The ones who told and the ones who wish they told. And I would think about that. And I felt that I didn't leave nothing on the table. Like I gave it up my all. And it's weird because that was a victory, no matter what, for me. You know, for me, like, to have a release date. That weekend, they, you know, they put me in the shoe again, you know, for safety reasons. And, and didn't feel good. Six months after the twins were sentenced, there was a surprise in store for Jay and Pete, and it wasn't a good one. I was leaning myself. They opened up the cell doors early, like at 5 a.m. exactly. And uh, one of the guys I messed with, he came and he was like, I could tell he hadn't even been to sleep. He like knocks on my door and he opens it. Hey, Pete. Pete, man, wake up. You know, he's like, hey, fool, travel escape. Oh, yeah, man, turn on the TVs all over, like, watch CNN, the bottom line. I'm like, get the, no fucking way he escaped. Like, you're like, like for real, man, turn the TV on. I turn the TV on. It's a Saturday morning. And I see the bottom line. This is, um, fucking trouble a drug lord or whatever. Last seen in so at Friday night at whatever time. It just was, it just didn't feel real that this was happening, like, no way. And I remember getting up, and they don't turn our phones on until, like, 7 o'clock or something. So I had to wait till the phones were on. I remember calling Viviana, waking her up, like, hey, he escaped. She said, who? My chapel said, what? And I remember just watching the news. Late last night, Joaquin El Chapo Guzman broke out of a maximum security prison about 60 miles from Mexico City. Everyone's watching the news. Everyone's like coming back. Like, you see Chapo escape? And it was like unbelievable that they were really reporting that. When you think about the situation, you know, the story behind these kind of people is that they do these crazy things because they believe they could do them. They believe they could do the impossible things. An evil genius is still a genius. Like, I don't care how you put it. Like, And then they got, he got the balls to even attempt it. And, you know, he got nothing to lose. And I, I, I could see why he does that in a, in a mindset where you got nothing to lose. You're going to, you might as well, you know, take the half-court shot. 
swing for the home run, like you're down, you know, you might as well try. You know, that little saying that comes to mind that they say that you miss 100% of the shots you don't take and when you have nothing to lose and I felt like that before. Like being a kid and being like, I have nothing to lose. What, what? Like what's the worst that could happen? You know, at that time I was like, I'm young. I haven't really lived much. I'm naive and I'm um, deprived of wisdom, you know, real wisdom at that time, yeah. Just when you said that, it made me think, God, right, you're right. But the majority of people would think, no, no, that's not, one, it's not going to work, and two, I'm going to get caught, and they wouldn't even try. The majority of people don't even try because they write themselves off before they even try and do something. And that's why I can relate to it, because I feel like, you know, if I came to someone in my own life and said, look, you know, I've sold over 130 tons of cocaine, I'm a wanted person. You know, my brother and I have been on the run for years. And what if I attempted to do this, 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 and that? They would be like, you're fucking crazy for even trying it. To see the genius of some of the people we dealt with and the things they do to be successful is amazing, okay? And I feel like those are the kind of people that make great things happen, you know? And I wish that they could be brought into some of these legit, the legit world, into these um, legitimate enterprises and see what they could do. This is not the first time El Chapo has escaped from prison. Nor is it the first time he's escaped from this particular prison, El Altiplano, a maximum security prison east of Mexico City. Back in 2001, El Chapo bribed multiple prison officers to wheel him out in a laundry cart. This time, he escaped through a mile-long tunnel, but it wasn't just any old tunnel. Hiding below Chapo's shower in his cell was a three-story deep hole. In it was a ladder that he used to climb down into the tunnel. You know, he was literally in a well-fortified, constructed prison designed to prevent such an escape. They didn't anticipate him coming from underground. So that's exactly what he did. Almost from the moment he was delivered here to Altiplano Prison in February 2014, a construction crew from his Sinaloa cartel began digging a tunnel to free him. El Chapo's exact location was known because a smartwatch with a GPS was smuggled to him. The tunnel dig was coordinated by El Chapo's wife, Emma Coronel Isporo, and his four sons, and it took around a year. It was a well-engineered tunnel that even included lighting and ventilation. After El Chapo climbed down the ladder, he got onto a motorbike attached to a track and was then pulled to the end using an elaborate pulley system. Within a week, he was back in Sinaloa, relaxing in his palatial home with his family and El Mayo, the other leader of the cartel. As time goes by, you see that he escaped from, you know, mile-long tunnel. You're like, what? Just like, what's next? My next thing is like, they're really not going to catch him next time like that. Like, they're not going to catch him. Like, 
Look what he did to escape. Surviving El Chapo, the twins who brought down a drug lord, season two, is hosted by Curtis 50 Cent Jackson and me, Charlie Webster. Produced by myself and Jackson McLennan. Assistant producer and research support by Casey Hertz. Edit and sound design by Nico Palella. Theme music and original score by Ryan Sorensen. It's executive produced by Curtis 50 Cent Jackson and me, Charlie Webster. Curtis 50 Cent Jackson presents a Lionsgate Sound and G-Unit Audio production exclusively for iHeart Podcasts. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. You can rent a car, a house, even that little black party dress. So why not rent the stuff you need for your home, too? The place to do it is errands. Choose from thousands of new products from the brands you love, online or in store. Pick a payment plan that fits your budget and pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But if life changes, you can return it anytime or even upgrade it with something new. Rent what you need. It's better at errands. Approval not guaranteed. Restrictions apply. See store for details.